great gowns, beautiful gowns. Hello. Hello, hello. My name is Chelsea Fairless. And I'm Lauren Garoni, and welcome back to Every Outfit. We're back. I'd like to start this episode with an apology to our listeners because we made a grave mistake last week. I mean, I don't think it was really that grave, but in in our discussion of the numerous Woody Allen references on Sex and the City, we forgot maybe the most prominent example, iconic one, which is this. We're together when we want to be, and we're apart when we want to be. Like Woody and Mia. Before Sun Yi. Ever since Woody Allen described waving to Mia Farrow across the park, single men in Manhattan had yearned for that kind of separate togetherness. So yeah, it comes in season two when Carrie and Big are back together. And in the previous scene, she's been trying to leave stuff at his apartment and he keeps returning it. And so they're having this conversation when he's on her bed and she's talking to him. And I I frankly think that we block this out for good reason. I do think the fact that Woody Allen and Mia Farrow lived on opposite sides of the park, I feel like that arrangement has stuck with a lot of people. You mean that separate togetherness? Yeah, it's it's it was romantic until it was creepy and sad, I guess. As Miranda says at one point, if there were unlimited apartments, people would stay single forever. No truer words have ever been spoken. What else happened in our lives this week? I miss the the Telfar skywriting. Me too. I miss Telfar and Lana Del Rey were skywriting in LA this week. I miss both of them. It sucks. Thank God there's Instagram and our friends to tell us what we've missed (laughs) or show us what we've missed. I love skywriting. If I worked at an ad agency, I would be pitching skywriting for literally every single account. It would be like Frosted Flakes skywriting. Prep skywriting you know hbo max and just like that skywriting yeah it's so effective because you can choose to not look at a billboard even though we live in la which is like billboard capital of the world i still like glance at the billboard and i'm like oh that's some like marvel nerd shit that lauren would like i'm not even gonna look at it you know whereas skywriting it's like you have to look at it um what else happened oh we had a really since i talked about my lisa vanderpump sighting last week we had a really good celebrity sighting this week and i and i was there to experience it as well we were we were there together well you explain we were at the Hollywood FedEx, maybe the ninth circle of, of hell. Great for printing, terrible for dropping off FedEx boxes. True. And I don't know, you were going on some bullshit and I just pulled you by your trench coat and I said, Holland Taylor is over there. I gagged, turned around. It was Holland Taylor. She had a mask. She looks like... But we knew. Yeah, but well, I could hear her voice, so I knew it was Holland Taylor. I mean, that's a really major sighting for me. I've seen her before, but not out in the wild like that. I mean, at a FedEx of all places, just like us. So lesbians, they're just like us. We didn't go up to her because it's COVID times. And also, if it were non-COVID times, we would never. No, no, I don't go up to celebs. It's weird she never had a role on Sex and the City. She could have been a dope Buddy McDougal. It's true. Well, she could have also been like if Candace Bergen wasn't Enid. I feel like that's her. That would have been her role. We've actually spent a lot of time together. Over the weekend, you made me listen to in the car the new Bieber and Lana Del Rey album. Yeah, Lana's album is quite good. Bieber's, not so much. I mean, the singles are pretty fab. Not all of them, some of them. But 
What even are the singles? I swear to God, Chelsea, every song sounded the same, which I know can apply to Lana Del Rey and Bieber, but I fuck with Lana Del Rey's ambient bops. And okay, Bieber, well, the not first so single from this album was Holy, I believe. The one with the Joe Pesci line that Chance the Rapper does that reminds me of you. And then he did that Anyone song that's pretty bad, but that was pretty typical of like the whole album, which is like songs about Haley being his life partner slash sober coach. And I love you, Haley. You're my whole life, Haley. You're the best thing I've ever done, Haley. That's the vibe of this entire album. So really the album should be called Haley Road Bieber? It should. This has been a real just Chelsea heavy week. All shit that you love. Holland Taylor, Bieber. What else has happened? And the, now the news that the, there will be a Time to Kill limited series sequel on HBO starring Matthew McConaughey. I am excited about that. I love Matthew McConaughey. I love Time to Kill, although there are many aspects of Time to Kill that are, let's just say it's not not problematic. Oh my god. A Time to Kill is, for whatever reason, the film that in times of stress Chelsea and I will watch. We absolutely fast forward through the horrific rape scene in the beginning. But yeah, it's also very white savory. I don't think John Grisham knows any other way. Also, to put it in context, it's the film that Joel Schumacher made in between Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Huh. And the script version is written by Akiva Goldsmith, wrote Batman and Robin, but then won an Oscar for A Beautiful Mind. And oh, then that movie was terrible. Which one? A Beautiful Mind, in my opinion. Anyway, Matthew McConaughey will be reprising his role of Jacob Bergantz, a lawyer, in A Time for Mercy. I just want to know, is everyone going to be as sweaty as they were in A Time to Kill? Because that's like one of my favorite parts about Time to Kill. Like Ashley Judd is dripping. It's like, remember that time that Gwyneth Paltrow went on that late night show and her legs were like wet? That's what every character in A Time to Kill looks like in every single scene. I don't think so, just because Joel Schumacher is no longer with us and that really seems like a Joel Schumacher flourish. I hope Ashley Judd is still his wife. I hope she's back because, you know, after surviving Harvey Weinstein and almost losing her leg in the Congo a couple weeks ago, it seems like she's due for some sort of career resurgence. Well, A Time for Mercy will see Brigands defending a young man who killed his mother's boyfriend, a deputy sheriff, with the boy claiming that the man was abusive towards his mother himself and his little sister. I don't think this can support six to ten episodes, but I'm here for it. So Sandra Bullock and him were fucking during <laughs> Time to Kill, right? Sorry, just to back <laughs> things up. I think he dated at one point Ashley Judd and Sandra Bullock. Ooh. Not at the same time, I don't think. I mean, he could definitely pull two A-list chicks at once in that era of Matthew McConaughey. I'm so good looking in a time to kill. Is that your hall pass? <laughs> I don't know if it's my hall pass, but I just think that he's an incredibly attractive, charismatic person. I'm mostly impressed that, you know, in the intervening years between a time to kill and now this a time for mercy, his hairline will have completely changed. <laughs> In addition to the Time to Kill limited series, I'm also very excited about this Eileen Wernos prequel I know, film that's you, happening. You have it in the doc. I have no idea what this is. I'll tell you about it. It's called American Boogie Woman. Eileen will be played by this chick named Peyton List, who I have no idea who she is, but she has like millions of Instagram followers. And she came up through the Disney Channel. So that's just a part of show business that I will never understand. It's a prequel to Monster, which Monster was focused on her famous killing spree in the late 80s 
and early 90s. Patty Jenkins film that won Charlie's there in the Oscar. Yes. But this prequel is about Eileen's early life in Florida, where apparently she was married to some much older guy who was like rich president of the yacht club. It was it's set in a very like Mar-a-Lago type environment. I can't wait for Christian Slater or Joshua Jackson to play him. <laughs> I know, right? But apparently the marriage was annulled because she violently attacked him and then like fucked with his entire family, including his daughter, who will be played by Lydia Hurst. I'm fucking psyched. But you still haven't seen Monster, which is crazy. I did reveal that in a car ride earlier this week. It's so good. Except for Christina Ricci is very, very miscast in this particular role. She plays Charlize Theron, Eileen Wernos's girlfriend. And of course, in typical Hollywood fashion, the real life woman was a stone butch lesbian, like middle-aged woman. And Christina Ricci is basically her character in Now and Then, but with a haircut. What do you think is the best lesbian cinematic portrayal by a lesbian or a non-lesbian? Oh God, I can't, I honestly can't even answer that question. That's too deep. I'll answer that next week. I'll have a think. I really only said that as a transition to the fact that last night, Chelsea and I separately, but at the same time, watched this erotic thriller on Netflix starring Kristen Davis called Deadly Illusions. Oh my God. Major. For one thing, on the top of the show, we love Kristen, not just from Sex and the City. She's always been super lovely to us and super supportive, and we are her number one fans. And this movie just affirmed how much I love her. And we also enjoy erotic thrillers, especially lesbian-centric erotic thrillers. It was kind of half lifetime, half erotic thriller. Yeah, is now a good time to mention the fact that my father produced <laughs> early 90s Skinamax as movies. I know, this is a, this is truly Lauren's genre. Although your dad's movies were literally porn. Uh, I mean, they're without penetration. But yeah, it's softcore. I don't want anyone to think that this movie with Kristen is like pornography like your dad's movies. This film was like a dark version of Charlotte's Sex and the City 2 plotline with the nanny, but mixed in with like... <laughs> totally. But mixed in with the psychosexual lesbian tension of Black Swan. Yeah, it was fab. I mean, it's basically she played this famous novelist. A sexy thriller lady. Who doesn't really want to write anymore. That's what I loved about her character. It's like usually you're used to seeing these successful novelists be ruthlessly ambitious, like Meryl Streep in She Devil. But she, she, like Kristen's character, had no ambition. She was like, I never want to write again. Her husband, played by Dermot Mulrooney, or was it Dylan McDermott? It's Dermot Mulrooney, tells her in a scene early on, which I thought was him saying he, he cheated, but he was like, no, I did a bad business deal. Ooh, look, I found this contract and they're going to give you $2 million, which do you know how insane it is to get a $2 million advance? So she's basically forced into having to write another book. And because she's become a very devoted full-time stay-at-home mom, she then has to get a nanny. She doesn't want a nanny at first. Yeah, she's like, I didn't spend thousands of dollars on in vitro to spend thousands of dollars having some rando take care of my kids. There were some banger one-liners in the film, I will there admit. There were. Did the, I was thinking of you during the montage sequence where she tries to find an, a nanny. Didn't that remind you of Sex in the City. Yes, when Carrie's interviewing her potential assistants. No, I was going to say Adam's family values. When oh, they're that doing too, the, when Cynthia Nixon is... Uh... Is one of the babysitter potentials. Guys, I think this podcast is just going to become six degrees of Sex in the City. Everything relates back to it. 
So she finds this nanny that's very... Played by Greer Grammer, Kelsey Grammer's daughter. Oh, that's Kelsey Grammer's daughter. Mm -hmm. So Camille Grammer's... No, I think the previous Uh, set of children. Yeah, and she's very Pollyanna-ish conservative but of course wears short white tennis skirts i saw that the costume designer was julia ehrlich and i couldn't figure out if it was the julia ehrlich who went that we to- went to college with yeah who's a stylist i think it might be is it i think i mean the styling for the film was much better than it had to be i yeah. was impressed by it no i agree i also thought they went out of their way to say that the nanny character was in college because in the 90s in these sort of movies she would have just been a straight up 16 year old uh yes if you think about a film like Poison Ivy. This film very much falls within that genre of Poison Ivy, The Crush, or you at least think it's going to be that sort of movie on the outset. It quickly descends into Kristen Davis being like, I think I'm a lesbian now, and I think I can force her to be a lesbian. Like, there's a very weird line. Yeah, she starts having these fantasies about the nanny, but you don't really know if they're real or not. My favorite being the bath scene. Kristen was in the bath and then the nannies making her this elaborate bath with like milk and rose petals and feeding her honey. And I was like, this is so legit. This is what straight women think lesbians do to have sex is like baths and like fingering in the baths. Should we get into spoiler talk for this movie now? Yeah, sure. First of all, it goes in two parallel directions. One of which is, is this all in Kristen's mind? Because it's also set up. Sorry, we can't remember the character's name. You know. Yeah, sorry, Kristen, if you're listening. We know that this isn't you. For one thing, you would never smoke cigars. That's another fun detail about Kristen's character is that she's a cigar smoker. Yeah, it really gave me <laughs> mid to late 90s cigar aficionado vibes when it was like Demi Moore and Selma Hayek on the cover. Yeah, totally. The poster for The First Wives club they were all smoking cigars that was a very 90s micro trend that kind of overlapped with lesbian chic it was pretty fab it was a very madonna idea it feels like a feminism where it's like we're gonna take on male attributes right we're gonna wear pinstripe suits yeah, and it's smoke a, cigars it's about like wearing pinstriped gautier and uh yeah and having a cigar i loved that anyway it's two parallel tracks right where it's like is this all in Kristen's mind because she's an author and the reason one of the reasons she doesn't want to write again is I go to this dark place and I become my characters and I just I can't or is the babysitter crazy does is the babysitter a killer babysitter and the answer is both I still kind of can't figure it out well what happened was apparently the babysitter has multiple personalities. Now called dissociative identity disorder. Right. So she's actually both the sweet, innocent babysitter who's somehow in love with Kristen. That is true. And then the slutty, evil one that's like making Dermot Mulrooney go down on her while blindfolded, which I found quite impressive, is also true. Oh, yeah. And she was smoking the cigar during that scene. The thing I loved about this movie is how down Kristen's character was to like flirt with and make out out with this nanny they're going on bike rides they're going on picnics they're they're swimming in the pool she's giving her like erotic sunscreen massages see in my father's films it's usually a lesbian centric plot line because she's unsatisfied by her husband in this film which is written and directed by a, wo- a woman she does have a very satisfying sex life with her husband but yet still wants her lesbian lover i love how in we lauren's dad's movies we watched one recently all the chicks do is like 
either touch their own breasts or touch someone else's breasts, but they do it in this really specific way where they run both their hands, like basically from the top of their chest down over their breast to their stomach and then back up from their stomach in the same way yes. back to their collarbone. It's like the strangest thing you've ever seen. See, it's not straight up porn because there's nothing that goes on below the belt. Yeah, no, it's true. It's not actual porn, but it's porn compared to, what's this movie called? Deadly Illusions. Deadly Illusions. You know, maybe one day we'll do a, a live react to us watching his films or something because they're they're pretty crazy, guys. Yeah, I would love that. God, should where we, are we? <laughs> should we just cut to the ending, which is Greer Grammar? I'm sorry, I don't, I can't remember any of these characters' names. First of all, the babysitter dresses up in lingerie and then goes to stab Dermot Mulroney in the shower. Right. Kristen and her get into. I also love how she used some sort of like Japanese rope bondage to keep the children locked in their rooms during all of this. Gotta protect the kids. Protect the kids, guys. Yeah, she was a nanny first and foremost. Like she may have been trying to murder their dad and like fuck their mom, but she still takes childcare very seriously. Honestly, that would be my preferred happy ending. Kill the husband, get with the wife. But it's not that. Kristen then just... Again, Kristen, I'm really sorry we're using your actual name. It's in very poor taste and we're sorry. She discovers that the babysitter has dissociative identity disorder because the, the identities are fighting each other. One wants to kill Kristen and the good one doesn't. And I, The good one just wants Kristen to be her mommy slash lover. Again, the sexual politics of this film is very fucked up. Do you remember that? Well, there's an entire porn genre devoted to this specific dynamic of bored housewife and nanny babysitter, what have you. Tell me more, Chelsea. I'm not gonna t- <laughs> just give it a Google. No, but do you remember that? line where she's with her friend and she's like again not Kristen her character is like I think I can make this girl do anything like if I suggested sexual servitude and I was like what in the Jeffrey Epstein is this movie (laughs) but the thing that I loved about this is that Kristen's like the top in the sense that she's this girl's boss she's smoking cigars she's bossing her around but then the dynamic flips in this sort of demure jail baity school girl looking nanny who's college age lest anyone get the wrong idea actually just is like tops her in these weird moments like the the bra fitting scene yeah you and I have been out together many a times we've been shopping we've never gone bra shopping that culminates with like you caressing my breasts after finding a, a successfully fitting bra the nanny like grabbed her hand and was like I just wanted you to remember what like this feels like well that's the other bizarre thing is they're trying to push this narrative where Kristen's character is like oh youth is wasted on the young it's like Kristen looks banging like Kristen looks incredible Kristen's ready for and just like that let's just say her boobs are looking fine. There's nothing that Kristen's character or Kristen needs to be reminded of. As a lesbian, did it insult you what I'm going to assume a straight woman who wrote this thinks lesbians act like? Well, I love movies in this genre, just in general. I don't consider them to be the most accurate portrayal of queer relationships or sex, but I very much enjoy them. You know, to be fair, rom-coms are not that realistic to heterosexual dynamics. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the same exact thing. There's nothing about this that I think is offensive. Like I'm not that kind of lesbian, thank God. Okay, but in the end, Kristen saves the day, and then she visits Greer Grammer, who's now in in the institutionalized. Yeah. 
But it seems like a pretty nice facility, you know? She's not in a straight jacket. She's still in her jail baby outfit. She's somehow reverted to a childlike state, which I'm going to assume is a whole different personality. They play a game together. And then Kristen leaves. We should go back a second. Her best friend in the middle of the film is murdered. And so for a while, you're led to believe that Kristen is actually committing all these murders. And maybe the babysitter's a figment of her imagination. Right. Which is like for five minutes of the film, they let you think that. And then they're like, just kidding. It's all real. JK guys. But her friend really dies, which I cannot believe this missed opportunity where at the end of the film, before she sees Greer Kramer at the mental institution, the psychiatric facility, she goes to visit her friend's grave. It cuts to a year later. She goes to her friend's grave and drops off a fully printed out manuscript of the book she was (laughs) supposed to be writing in the beginning. And it just says untitled. Why didn't it say Deadly Illusions? Yeah. Why can't the title of the book be Deadly Illusions? It should have said Deadly Illusions. Okay, so she visits Greer Grammar and then she leaves the facility and she's wearing the same trench coat and headscarf that you're led to believe Greer Grammar's evil personality wore to kill Kristen Davis's best friend. Yes, this got a bit basic instinct E. Basic instinct 2 E. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we still don't really know what happened. Could there be a Deadly Illusions 2? I hope so. Oh my God. Deadly Illusions 2 Electric Boogaloo? All in all, I loved this movie. Like, I was so wildly entertained by this movie. This is the kind of movie that I want to watch. I want to just put on. Netflix doesn't need to give... Us Mank. Yeah. I Actually, I, I haven't seen Mank. I can't hate on Mank. But yeah, it's like they don't need to fund these just crazy fucking projects. Just make genre movies. Make more movies like this. It's number one in the country for a reason. Because people just want something nice and pleasant. And erotically charged. Yeah. In a very, like, heteronormative view. I love it all. Do you know what time it is, Lauren? Outfit of the week time? Yes. This week we have selected an image from Mark Jacobs' Instagram account, which is only getting more iconic by the day. Yeah, this was his look that he chose to wear at his second vaccine appointment. Yes. So he's wearing these pink sequin Comte Garçon basketball shorts. He's wearing a leopard overcoat of some kind. These platform Rick Owens boots, which he wears all the time. And he's pulling his shirt and his coat down over the shoulder so he can get vaccinated, which is so fascinating because this photo is like three kinds of Instagram photos in one. It's a thirst trap because you can see his gym body. It's a clout chaser because he's getting the vaccine. And it's also a fit pick because so much of it is about the fashion it really works on so many different levels and i have yet to see a vaccine pick that is this fierce i love the group mentality that's forming around what vaccine you get like he hashtagged it pfizer crew yeah love that what is it moderna gang well what is it about do you want to be pfizer or do you want to be moderna anyone that wants to give me a vaccine i think You'll take the, what's the one? AstraZeneca. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Lauren will take AstraZeneca. She's down. Beggars can't be choosers. (laughs) So one thing I wanted to say, we talk about a lot of visual stuff on this podcast, and we want to make it easier for you guys to be able to look things up online and find out what we're talking about. So there's a link to it in the episode description, but we have set up a web page The address is everyoutfitinc.com slash show notes. That's everyoutfitinc.com slash show notes. There you will be able to see all the stuff we're talking about, links to the fashion shows we're talking about, etc. Time for some fashion news. 
this week the fashion world lost a legend and someone whose work means a lot to me personally i am referring to elsa peretti who was a model very famously amused to halston and arguably the most famous female jewelry designer in history she's had an ongoing collaboration with tiffany and co since the 70s if you aren't familiar with her prolific body of work give it a google and literally body of work because her most famous piece would be the bone cuff yeah. I've read 10,000 Elsa Peretti obituaries this week. The best one being the Washington Post. So I will share the most fabulous highlights now. Please do. By her own admission, she survived on vodka, cocaine, cigarettes, and caviar for most of the 70s. So the three C's. She got the idea for her famous bone cuffs from literally stealing human remains from underground crypts in Rome as a child. As you do. It feels like something that would have been said about Margaret Tenenbaum, you know, in the <laughs> beginning of the Royal Tenenbaum. <laughs> totally. She never married or had kids. She did famously date Helmut Newton, who's taken like all the best photos of her. But they were dating when he took the famous photo of her in the Playboy costume. Yes, you've probably seen this on Instagram or posted it yourself. That high contrast black and white photo of a very chic woman in the Playboy, was it bustier and mask and ears? Is yeah. her. Well, one thing I learned about that is that wasn't a shoot. That was a morning after photo. That was like a 5 a.m. just candid shot you take of your girlfriend, which is pretty insane. Another thing I learned about her, she had this really insane Nicki Minaj level temper when she had a fight with Halston and she threw a fur length fur coat that he designed for her into an open fire and it just like burned up instantly. And then they had a falling out, but like reconciled right before he died. What do you think is going to happen in her death? Is it going to be something like a lie? Because I don't know if Tiffany has faced something like this. Like, is there going to be an in-house Tiffany team that designs? Or maybe in the last few years she hasn't been designing. I don't actually know that. She's been consistently designing and adding to the Tiffany line since the 70s, basically. And now it's like an 800-piece product range. And basically what happens is they pay... They every I don't know what what contract was, but I think around like 2012, she renegotiated the licensing for all of her designs and they gave her $42 million just for the next 20 years of being able to produce this stuff, which makes sense because another thing I learned from reading all these obituaries is Elsa Peretti jewelry accounts for sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more, but roughly 10% of Tiffany's sales in general, which is crazy considering this is a company that does billions of dollars of sales every single year right so it's actually just like a very like integral part of the brand at this point so rest in power legend yeah oh and also she died in her sleep when she was 80 so there's certainly worse ways to go but uh i think that's kind of the best way to go yeah unless you're to bring it back to matthew mcconaughey you know the famous story that he loves telling that his father died from a heart attack while having sex with his mother iconic and when the coroner was bringing him matthew mcconaughey's father down the stairs matthew mcconaughey's mother ripped the sheet off and was like i want everyone to see him in his glory jesus christ um anyway to wrap things up lauren to celebrate her life i've brought some vodka cocaine <laughs> caviar and cigarettes for us to enjoy fabulous i actually didn't but maybe i should have okay so we had more fashion shows this week because apparently now fashion month isn't so much of a month as just an endless string of fashion shows with no particular 
structure. This week, we finally got shows from Raph Simmons and from the brands in the Comme de Garçon universe. So, is this like the Marvel Cinematic Universe? It is actually. It it truly is because okay, so there's Comb, which is the main line. Then within that, there's Junior Watanabe, there's K Ninomiya, and then there's ten thousand other Comb sub brands like the Black Line, the Shirt Line, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I don't know where where do we want to start? The OG Comb. I just want to preface this by saying I love Comb from a design standpoint, from a branding standpoint. Why do I feel like there's going to be a big <laughs> however coming? Well, yeah, I mean, Ray Kawakubo is a singular talent. However, there's two types of comb shows. There are shows where models walk down the runway wearing clothes that you could buy in the store, however eccentric, avant-garde, whatever. And then there are comb shows where the models just sort of shuffle down the runway wearing these giant sculptures, basically. It's like they can't move. They can barely walk. Half of them can't even move their arms. They look like the saddest people on the face of the earth. I will admit that this collection does look like Tim Burton drawings. To me, it looks like when you take your dog to the vet and then they have to wear a giant cone for the week and they look like sad and like burdened by the cone. It's like, that's how these models look. How have they not done a comb cone? (laughs) That would be perfect. I don't know. It's like the clothes are so heavy. They're literally a burden. I get the sense that when Rei Kawakubo designs clothes, it's very psychological for her. Like she's working through something because these kind of clothes look like what depression feels like it's walking around every day with the weight of the world on your shoulders and your own emotional baggage so are you saying that there should be a wellbutrin ad where everyone's dressed in comb oh my god that would be perfect that's the vibe right can we move on to junior sure I thought the collection was very indicative of the era of fashion we're in right now, which is just every subcultural trend of the last 40 years has just collapsed into each other. This was a certainly a much more clothes-oriented collection. Yeah, you had models who had hair like, what was it, Sue Catwoman, who's the yes. punk icon, and yet they're wearing band shirts like they're in Richard Linkletter's Dazed and Confused, yet also those same Aerosmith and Who shirts have Versace scarves sewed into them. The overarching theme here was punk, which is often the case with Junior. It's like you could say that about maybe like one out of four collections. Although it's they, they always explore different facets of punk. Like as you said, the from the neck up, it was a very 70s British punk look. But from the neck down, it was almost very St. Mark's Place, Beacon's Closet, hot topic like that lo- that's what i mean by it's very now it's very 2021 and and really the last 10 years we've been in which is it's all of the things and it means nothing i liked it i liked it too general. i think it's gonna be very successful i can see those shirts on travis scott on billy eilish i think you're sure. going to see those placed a lot in the coming months well i thought it was interesting because the choice of band tees because they were kind of like deliberately shitty shirts when raf simmons puts a band tee in one of his shows he wants to find the coolest shirt whereas this was very hot topic it was his shirts it was Aerosmith shirts it was and, and that's a stylistic choice I mean Balenciaga also it's purpose- puts out shirts that are like purposefully shitty like I was gonna say purposefully lame 
yeah and that's the the ironic tension yeah that was that was the vibe it was like he went to hot topic in a thrift store and bought a ton of shit and cut it up and then made this collection out of it no i thought it was very successful i don't want it to sound like i'm shitting on it i think it's very indicative of where we are in fashion right now yeah but i pretty much always like his shows on to k nina mia i thought this was really the perfect show for the me too era go on well because the first section of looks all had these giant porcupine spikes that just extended a foot from the body it was really dramatic and crazy this is a collection that truly says like get the fuck away from me would you have loved if they played the polices don't stand so close to me <laughs> as they walk down the runway i mean I'm, I'm not a sting fan in any capacity and i never will be I wasn't familiar with this designer until you threw it in the dock, but it really spoke to me in my personal style. That one look that was like a tulle morning coat oversuiting all tied together with like a leather BDSM inspired harness is very me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's very cool. If you're unfamiliar with his work, he's like Junior, a protege of Rei Kawakubo, who has been given his own line. He's kind of like the Japanese Paco Rabanne in the sense that his signature thing is linking together these laser cut pieces of fabric or plastic or leather and whatever and creating these really intricate 3d multi-dimensional sort of garments so your point is ladies you no longer need one of those keychains that look like a cat that you could stab <laughs> yeah, exactly. a, stab an attacker with just wear this dress totally it's crazy a lot of his pieces don't even involve sewing at all it's literally just all about everything is just linked together in a certain way it's pretty crazy and then lastly, Raph. We have Raph. Yeah, he went oversized this season, a departure from the latex turtlenecks of last season. Yeah, he chose six words to describe this collection. Ataraxia, equanimity, dichotomy, synchronicity, allegiance, and devotion. And I know what like two of those words are. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about all of that, but I thought it was the perfect collection to re-enter a post-quarantine world. Like, it's a lot of clothing, which is if you gained, if you don't feel comfortable with your body or you gained, like, a quarantine 15. If you're concealing a full pregnancy, like, this is the collection for you. It was a lot of oversized sweaters that looked like they were worn inside out and backwards. But then they were, like, styled with these cuffs that looked like skeleton hands that the models were wearing above their elbows. So it looked like they were being fucked from behind by the tails from the crypt skeleton. I think you're the only one who thought that. No, that's what it said in the Vogue runway review. (laughs) Just kidding. Can you imagine? That's why they don't have us do those Vogue (laughs) runway (laughs) descriptions. Yeah, I mean, the color palette was fab, but I honestly don't know how he keeps coming up with different weird color combinations every single season. I feel the same way about products. Like, I honestly don't know how they sustain that. Well, Raph's over at Prada. Do you think they share one, like, Pantone person that's job (laughs) is to come up with fucked up color combos? Maybe. I hope so. But yeah, good shows, especially after how dark that whole New York, London, Milan stretch of Fashion Month was. Maybe they did save the best for last. Why am I saying last? This fall, winter, 2021. Yeah, it's never going to end. end. We'll probably be doing this next week, too. Is it time for the most controversial part of the podcast? Trigger warning, we're going to talk about the Kardashians. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. 
truly where to start. Yeah, there's a lot. Shall we start with Kendall's new fragrance? Yes, a collab that actually makes way more sense than an 818 tequila is the combo of Kendall's perfume line with her sister Kim for KKW Beauty. Well, I mean, they're just called Kendall, right? Kendall for KKW Fragrance or whatever. I KKW don't know. Fragrance is a different company than KKW Beauty somehow. I think the bo- the bottle is pretty cute. It's it's minimal, but there's something a little postmodern about it. I feel like there are vases at the MoMA design store that kind of look like this bottle. It feels like they gave a bunch of references from the row or the row stores and we're like, we want it like this. This, but then also those Stephen Klein, sexy, equestrian BDSM vibes. Shall we talk about Safely? It's a real Avengers murderers row of people, right? You've got Chris teaming up with Chrissy, teaming up with the CEO of Good American to create a plant-based home goods line. So they're basically coming for Jessica Alba with this company. The packaging, it's a very minimal, very millennial design. It's very Casper mattress. It's if Pert Shampoo had a millennial redesign, it would end up looking like this. I was surprised that there weren't more. As someone that has every bedroom I've ever lived in has been seafoam green. I Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of like demented origin story is this? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, did every apartment you ever lived in for 12 years was painted millennial pink? Am I okay, wrong? Okay, that was before there was a word for millennial pink. By the way, I was a very early adopter. And, and now let's just say I have, I have shed that from my lifestyle. Anyway, I just was surprised that the color palette for it is such a, a Grinch green. I thought it would maybe be a little more sea foamy, a little more pastels. Okay, it's not full Grinch. Okay, it's kind of Grinch, you're right. Never mind. Okay, moving on. So we're not going to talk about Kylie's GoFundMe drama. Who cares? It's boring. Yeah, um, fuck it. Something that's possibly even more boring is that Courtney and Travis went to Nobu two nights in a row. That's incredibly boring, but the lengths that you have gone to try to ID a shirt she wore. I was in a paperwork hell for like branding stuff that we're doing in the future, and I called her to complain about it, and she was like, I have also had a day. (laughs) Okay, look, these photos of them at Nobu are noteworthy because Courtney's style is very noticeably veering in a punk direction, which is, I mean, we talked about Kim being punk on last week's episode. It's actually going to be Courtney. In one of these pictures, she's wearing leather pants. In the other one, she is wearing this 70s era t-shirt that reads, beat me, bite me, whip me, fuck me like the dirty pig that I am, come all over my tits and tell me that you love me and then get the fuck out exclamation point wow because it says come all over my tits i don't think that she borrowed it from travis who i assume has a quite extensive collection of punk t-shirts i recognize this shirt because i've seen photos of joan jett and adam ant wearing it i googled it and a lot of people online were attributing the shirt to vivian westwood and malcolm mclaren's line seditionaries which predated vivian westwood's eponymous label but i didn't trust that that was accurate information so So, i (laughs) so tell everyone who you went to okay so first i went to our friend jessica glasscock who works at the 
Costume Institute and worked extensively on the punk exhibition, she was like, I don't know, this looks like really basic for Westwood. And she's like, it's definitely not original. The fabric is wrong. So it's probably a recreation of a seditionary shirt. No, no, no. She was like, it's probably not seditionaries. She's So then I asked Alexander Fury, who is an incredible journalist, editor, historian. He was like, no, it's not Westwood because the fabric's not muslin. There's no Sex Pistols lyrics on it, which was very much a part of that because Malcolm McLaren was also managing the Sex Pistols, etc. He had this vested interest in constantly cross-marketing everything. Kind of like the Kardashians. Do you think Chris took some lessons <laughs> from Malcolm totally. McLaren? Totally. And also he was like, there's no overlapping screen printed graphics, which were very typical of those t-shirts. So long story short, I have no idea where this shirt comes from. I still don't know where this shirt comes from. If anyone knows the origin of this shirt, please tell me because I want to provide the most robust Kardashian fashion commentary that I can and I feel that I've let you guys down. I'm sorry. How much time did you spend doing this? Okay, like actually like 20 minutes. But you know, sometimes when something takes you down a wormhole, you, you just have to figure it out. I thought the tea was that there are a lot of dupes, there are a lot of like faux seditionaries era shirts that they're passing off, like authentic. Well, Jessica told me, she was like, yeah, there's a lot of fakes and they're not necessarily fakes that people are making now. They're like fakes that people made back in the day. So it's like really hard to date that stuff or authenticate it. Wow, a 40-year-old bootleg of something. Yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. Um, what else? I mean, <laughs> I did send you the a Daily Mail photo of some creepy, I assume, drone overhead shot of Kim's property where she's built a little Hidden Hills that includes a KKW store and a Starbucks for her kids to play in. It's so crazy. All I want to do is just live in that, that fake children's village. I'm wondering if Starbucks is, because they're quite litigious, if she got permission, which I assume she didn't, like, is someone in there... Chris gets a cease and desist from, from Starbucks. Starbucks. Yeah. I mean, that reminded me of that famous episode of MTV Cribs where Tommy Lee had a Starbucks in his house. Was it a sanctioned Starbucks? It was sanctioned. To be clear, it wasn't like a fully functioning Starbucks. It was staffed and, you know, had bad music playing. It was it was like a counter. He got all the Starbucks branded packaging and stuff like right. that. And I think the correct syrups and whatever. It was that. And he had an apron and lastly oh god there's more <laughs> what else is there chris is uh, has graced the cover of the wall street journal magazine oh yeah this is she looks incredible her look is very at her core chris's most authentic fashion persona is very much based on tom ford's Gucci look from the 90s like to me that's her home and this look was very that although she was wearing a comb blazer but she had like these the Gucci Gucci aviators yeah she looked amazing did you read the article well I read the first I read I think I don't know how much of it I read because at some point I scrolled down and they're like you have to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal to read the rest of this and I was like fuck that Oh, you got paywalled? I got paywalled. So what what happened? Some of us actually support journalists. And so I'll tell you what was in the article. Well, okay. I did learn that Chris is developing a skincare line in addition to Safely. What she says about that is that she developed samples about four or five years ago and that she, she it's ready to go, but maybe she's waiting for the time is right and maybe that's a, a one to two years from now, which I don't know if she's playing hard to get or she's being genuine that she's not going to release it for another two years. 
I don't know, but I think it seems like a good venture for her. Yeah, the other thing she said is that they really don't have anything conceptualized or producer chosen for whatever the Hulu show is going to be. Although she also says that in her mind, they're going to start shooting whatever it is in the next few months. One thing I learned was that Rob has a line of hot sauce. (laughs) Did you know about that? Okay, because I obviously know that Rob has Arthur George, his sock line. I don't know what it's called, but whatever his dumb streetwear line is. Right. And in addition, some sort of hot sauce line. I know. How dare they not speak on Scott Disick's clothing line, Talentless? Did they not mention that? No. In the roundup of family brands? I guess, you know, well, he's but, part of the family at this point. Yeah, but then when you go to boyfriends, then they have to talk. It's then do we talk about Kanye and Travis Scott and like it, it the brands in this family, it never ends. I keep waiting. It's like, when is Stormy's brand going to come out? Kylie has definitely trademarked a bunch of Stormy-related product categories, I have no doubt. Yeah. Uh, the other tidbit I found interesting was that Chris became pregnant with Kendall during OJ's trial and gave birth to Kendall a month after the verdict, and Kendall's middle name is Nicole. Okay, so is that why Kendall has sleep paralysis and like has panic attacks on planes and stuff? Seriously, though. The trauma of the trial went through her mother into her? Possibly. Maybe. And then lastly... She doesn't talk much about Corey, although he's there in the interview. And I'm just wondering why we can't normalize successful older women and their gay (laughs) partners who they choose to spend their life with. I mean, allegedly, for legal reasons, this is all hypothetical. By the way, we're not saying that Corey is gay as any sort of drag. We're saying that we've seen the photo of him shopping outside of Barney's. And if you haven't, look it up. Just Google, it was Barney's, right? Yeah. Google Corey Gamble, Barney's, draw your own conclusions. Tar doesn't see that, and it just, it's the one thing about Chris. She has given so many great lessons to her children, truly, and we don't mean that as any drag. She really has. She's a wonderful, incredible businesswoman. But she also has passed down that, like, all of these women can't be without men. Yeah. She can't. Chloe certainly can't. None of them can. Yeah. And so they stay with well, awful Kendall people. kind of. Well, I guess maybe Kendall doesn't broadcast her relationships in the same way. She's smart. Yeah. Is that it? I mean, as you can tell, we've sort of run out of steam. (laughs) It's time for... It's time to go, guys. We love you. Thank you for listening. You brought cigarettes and caviar, though, right? Yeah, Lauren and I have some some coke to do. Uh, We'll see you next week. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.